0: The Education Channel supports individual educational goals and encourages creativity for all. Visit uctv.tv education. Well, welcome everyone. My name is Robert Castro. I'm a professor in theater and dance department and then the current director of the Chicanx Latinx Studies minor program here at UC San Diego. Uh, really thrilled uh, for our conversation today. It's part two of our Platica series, focusing on our CLS uh, faculty that are in the STEM field here on campus and in celebration of Latinx Heritage Month. Yesterday, we had an incredible conversation with Professors Rami Amaro, from uh, Professor of Chemistry and Biochemistry, uh, Alex Fraño, Assistant Professor of Physics, and also Hilberto Mosqueda, Professor of Structural Engineering. Uh, I highly encourage you to see that episode as well, but today we actually have three other wonderful extraordinary colleagues, guests, new friends uh, from the STEM faculty. Uh, we have Javier Duarte from Professor in Physics, we have Olivia Grave, the extraordinaire, uh, from the uh, Professor of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering, and Julio Barrera from also from the Department of Physics. So really thrilled to have an informal, intimate conversation with them today. I'll be um, introducing them, giving their bio, and spending a few minutes with each of them, uh, asking them, uh, you know, their journey, their story, how they came to UCSD, how they became part of the excitement of the STEM field, and then maybe talk about their research, and we'll kind of jump in from there. Um, a couple of announcements and thank yous I want to begin with. I want to thank Frank Silva, the Associate uh, Vice Chancellor of EDI here on campus, uh, for his support and efforts in uh, making this filming happen for UC TV, UC San Diego TV, but also uh, for the uh, platform Mi Universidad on campus, which is part of the extension, uh, UC, uh, UCSD extension here, uh, part of kind of partnership with the community. So I'm really thrilled that that will be part of that platform. So... Without any further ado, we'll jump into our conversation, uh, and I'm just going to kind of just go down the line here, and I'll just begin with um, Javier. So I don't know Javier. We only have been E—we know each other during E-versions or E-introductions, so we're meeting in person, so I'm really thrilled to, to meet you and get to know you more, Javier. So... Uh, your bio is, uh, Javier is an assistant professor of physics at the University of California, San Diego, and a member of the CMS Collaboration and the CERN Large Hadron Collider, 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 collider yes? Yeah. Uh, before joining UCSD, he was a Letterman Postdoctoral Fellow at Fermilab. He received his PhD in physics, uh, at Caltech, and his BS in physics and mathematics at MIT. His research group works on Higgs-Boson measurements and searches for new physics at particle colliders, real-time AI on FPGAs, and geometric deep learning for particle physics. Professor Duarte has received a Department of Energy Early Career Award for real-time AI in particle physics. Wow, that's impressive. That's a mouthful.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And I apologize. Particle physicists love acronyms. Yes. And so you you just can't write anything without it being riddled with acronyms. Welcome
0: to UC San Diego. (laughs) We're full of uh, the same thing, right? CLS, LAS, RRC. So I'm with you on that. T and D. (laughs) So yes, we love that. So all to say, um, thank you for being here, uh, Javier. And again, like I said, I don't know you. So I'm really just curious to get to know your story. So maybe I'm just inviting you to share your journey, where you come from, uh, and how you got to UC San Diego.
1: Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so, my family um, actually I have family on both sides of the border in uh, Colombia and Venezuela, uh, and uh, we came over when I was fairly young. Uh, my mom is kind of an entrepreneur, so she wanted to start businesses and uh, and really was seeking like better opportunities for her, you know, children. And um, when uh, so she came, she was. Doing lots of different jobs, uh, including, like, it's funny to think about it, like, travel agent, cell phone, you know, retailer, and really, like, catering, actually, to Latin American community. Uh, This was in Long Island. So it's, like, in the center of Long Island where there's actually tons of uh, Latin Americans and Hispanic Americans. And so, like, her business was, like, the one that they went to um, to just, you know, get, you know, Help and service in, in Spanish and Spanish and everything else, um, but yeah. So I um, kind of got interested. So that's how you grew up in Long Island. On Long Island, yes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Where'd you uh, go to high school? Uh, a high school called Longwood High School. Yes, I know it. Okay, you do it. Now. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. So right in the middle uh, of the island, it's actually fairly large and has uh, you know some good programs, but yeah, it's also you know. Uh, Maybe not the best <laughs> school, uh-huh. you know, overall. But can I I'll go back for a second?
0: I'm curious how you came from Venezuela and Colombia to, to Long Island. How did, what was that experience?
1: Yeah, so we had, as, as is usually the case, uh, kind of family friends that had already, like, settled there. Mm-hmm. So um, it was easy to, for my family um, to move there, my mom, my sister, and myself, actually, uh, to move there because we had, like, a little community that we could already... Um, talk to and then you know people um, and my mom actually started a business with one of uh, um, the people, the family friends. So um, that was really the, the connection. And also, there's a very large like Colombian American community uh, in like Queens. And that's um, true. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Fantastic. And so then, so then you, how did you get into science? Is that something that happened when you were in high school? Like, how, what draw you? What excites you about about it in that regard?
1: Yeah, I I think so. I think in in uh high school I remember reading uh sort of these popular science books uh like Brian Greene's The Elegant Universe and maybe some of Richard Feynman's stories about his life that also like interject things about particle physics and and the kind of physics he did. Uh and just getting excited about that as as a possibility of oh wow, people can do this and like get paid to to think about these like Uh, really deep like fundamental questions about the universe or about how things are made uh, what what things are made up of Um, and that was exciting I think the other thing I was really interested in as a at a young age was like computers Um, we always had like some kind of computer in the house especially given my my mom's business was like either travel agency or later now she does like taxes there's like Always some kind of like, uh, and I remember being like, I mean, back then it was like super slow and everything and things would break. But it was a lot lower level so you could actually like, you know, play around on the command line and stuff. So I think that was also one thing that piqued my interest in terms of uh, computing, which actually turns out to be a big part of my, my job these days. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I'd say it was like a combination of, of things. Um, and a lot, of, some members of my family are also um, engineers. I feel like that's the more typical path that you might take um, in, in South America. Is like if you have this inclination for math or science, you know, you maybe are more, uh, you know, taught like, well, that's that's great, but you know, you should also make sure you can make money. <laughs> and so, like, engineer, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. And, and the story is actually very similar. A lot of other of my friends who came from South America, they have kind of a similar, similar story that, yeah, my mom wanted me to do en- be an engineer. Um, and uh, I was fortunate that my mom was fairly uh, supportive, and my family was fairly supportive of, of, you know, even though I wanted to pursue something like as esoteric, maybe, as particle physics, uh, they were still, you know, supportive of it.
0: It's so interesting bringing up um, engineering as this kind of a pathway. Because uh, yesterday in our conversation, a couple of the guests also um, mentioned uh, they started engineering as well before they got into physics or um, um, uh, chemistry. And it was interesting because they were talking about it as the pathway to kind of having a, a really kind of modest and a kind of um, substantial um, you know, kind of way of living, right? It was there, they were, that was something that they could do versus something a little bit more uh, challenging in terms of making a living and having a kind of quality of life. That was something very important to them and their family to make sure that they have that uh, in place for them. Uh, but I'll just say, um, I'm curious how Don't you... Don't get me
1: wrong. Engineering is very important <laughs> and, and, and uh, hugely impactful. But No, yeah. they said the same
0: thing. Don't get me wrong as well. But it was just interesting that that was, a, that was always a starting point for many of them. And then they're in this other place, whether it's physics, chemistry, et cetera. Yeah. That, that was the starting place. Yeah.
1: and yeah, I mean, it comes down to the passion of the individual yeah, person. Yeah, sure. Like, what, what are you more passionate about? Right. Uh, and yeah, there are many, you know people who are more passionate about the engineering side of sure. things. And I also find myself on some days wanting to, I care more about the engineering aspects of my, of my work, uh, and on some other days more about the like science aspects. And it, there really are, you, you can't have one without the other.
0: Sure. Two. And so then, Javier, you continue your undergraduate education go to MIT. I mean, that's pretty impressive and really extraordinary. I'm just curious, like, you know, what's it like being, uh, what was the experience of being, uh, you know, a Latino on MIT campus, you know, in Cambridge and, you know, uh, we, we met yesterday, Hilberto Mosqueda. He did um, some of his um, uh, master's work there as well. And talking about you know missing food and family and wonderful things. I'm just curious, you know, what was your experience like being there? Because again, we're focusing the conversation today of you know Latinos in STEM, right? And that's part of it. And these kind of elite kind of you know focused um, programs around the country. And how we find, as Stephanie, who's here, was how do we find our resilience? How do we find our place there? How do we keep our our focus and our our passion alive? When And there's challenges being away from our families uh, or, you know, not near our cultura, et cetera. I'm just curious your experience.
1: I was, again, really fortunate that I was able to find kind of a community of other, not just uh, Hispanic Americans, but also a group of like maybe outcasts, (laughs) a group of of other friends that uh, in physics that we really supported each other. And, uh, you know, a lot of us were first generation college students and didn't really know, um, you know, didn't really know about the structure of like, oh, how do I make it so that I can get research opportunities? How do I make it so I can get into graduate school if I want to do physics? Like, not really knowing those structures, but kind of together we were able to like figure it out and actually help each other. I remember, um, yeah, and so I I had a a few friends that were, um, you know, we would like, Send each other research opportunities, like oh, we should all apply to this, and then we would like read each other's statements and like give feedback on each other's. Uh, so like peer like support. That. Yeah, it was a lot of peer support, um, and that was really important because yeah, I, I didn't really know what um, what to expect or how to navigate like higher education, um, and so I think that it came from talking to other, yeah, talking to peers that that really helped me understand um and also they had you know really really like awesome clubs like uh ship was actually the biggest one that I, I was i was a part of uh that that did lots of things and and yeah and brought food you know from from people's cultures and so uh, that was another way to like kind of connect back to home. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I wasn't too far from home. I mean, I was far enough, which sure. is it's good, <laughs> but not too far. Could that take I Metro could, North like, and get there. Yeah, it was the, um, uh, or the, the, great, the, uh, the bus, the, the oh, bus. The, oh my God, a, Peter a, Pan, a, what did you take?
0: Exactly, exactly, yeah, <laughs> I know yeah, the yeah. Line. it was one of,
1: the, one yeah. of those um, buses. Usually they go through Chinatown, but mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, uh, mm-hmm. those, were, those were the days.
0: <laughs> to Boston, the, from Chinatown to Chinatown. Yeah, exactly. I know the bus very well, that's really awesome. So tell me how you got to UC San Diego. can you keep your journey going for us in terms of so you finished your undergraduate work your 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 um, uh, other other studies, and then how did you come to UC san diego i'm just and I'm also curious what's it like being here as a Latino in the STEM department at physics, what that experience is like for you you know with your colleagues but also with your students, et cetera, and what you're interested in bringing here
1: yeah um, the so yeah after i finished, I knew I wanted to do um, particle physics. I actually had like a research opportunity at CERN and that really like, uh, once I once I got to actually go to Geneva, Switzerland, where the Large Hadron Collider is, I was like, oh, this is it. This is what I want to do. Um, and yeah, and I was able to kind of uh, Talked to a professor at Caltech, and you know they seemed interested in like kind of the same research I was interested in. My advise, who became my advisor, Maria Um and she was really uh, you know really helpful, and also just had a big group that I like learned a lot from. Uh, and at the time, we were doing uh, searches for new kinds of particles that are related to a symmetry called supersymmetry. Nowadays, this is a little bit out of out of um, I don't want to say out of style because, well, we've, we've excluded a lot of them. So, uh, so now it becomes a little bit harder to, to uh, motivate to, search, to keep searching for that particular kind of theory. Um, uh, then I went and did a postdoc at Fermilab. Uh, and this was really cool because there was like a specific outreach component that was part of the postdoc. And so I was um, one of the things I ended up doing was uh, directing the Saturday morning physics program. Uh, And actually, we had one edition in Spanish. Uh, So it was uh, a way to try to bring in the Hispanic community, especially because Fermilab is right next, it's in Batavia, Illinois, which is right next to Aurora, Illinois, which is one of the most, like the Hispanic population's enormous. And really, we never saw many people coming to Fermilab to take advantage of the opportunities that the lab had for outreach and for things and you know one of the reasons is maybe because you know um a lot of the people that come here maybe their the parents you know they they don't connect with that the that that these things are are available you know or necessarily for them and so that was one way we wanted to like try to improve the outreach um and uh so yeah so then i um uh, started at UCSD like three years ago, a little over three years ago, Uh, and so far it's been really excellent. I think there's a lot of other faculty in the department that are really supportive, uh, and actually a lot of other Hispanic faculty, Uh, and it's been really nice actually getting to to meet everyone and to kind of work together on different projects. Um, So uh, one that kind of comes up uh, that we've done recently was like Going to Barrio Logan and and having doing the um, science and art expo, Uh, and that was really fun. Just to like go and just kind of uh, tell people about the kinds of stuff that's again happening in their backyard, happening at UCSD, and say like this this is these are the kinds of you know careers you can pursue. Incredible. So I
0: have lots of many more questions for you. We'll fold you in yeah. uh, as we continue. But if we have, I want to meet our other guests. We can kind of open up the, the conversation collectively. So just going down our beautiful line here, we have the, the, the uh, one and only Professor Gra- Grave. And I'll read her bio. So Professor Olivia Grave joined UC San Diego in uh, 2012 and is currently the Jacobs Faculty Scholar and Professor in Department of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering director of the Kali Baja Center for Resilient Materials and Systems, and director of the Materials Science and Engineering program. She holds a PhD in Materials Science and Engineering from the University of California, Davis, and a Bachelor of Science in Structural Engineering from UC San Diego. So she's an alum, hooray! Her area of research focuses on the design and processing of new materials for extreme environments, including extremes of temperature, pressure, and radiation. Professor Grave has been involved in many activities related to the recruitment and retention of women and Hispanic students in science and engineering, and has received several prestigious awards, including the Presidential Award for Excellence in Science, Mathematics, and Engineering Mentoring in 2020. She has been included, inducted, excuse me, into the Tijuana Walk of Fame, the Mexican Academy of Engineering the Mexican Academy of Sciences, the Latin American Academy of Sciences, and has been named Fellow of the American Ceramic Society and of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. Olivia, that's a mouthful as well. Super impressive. And of course, we know each other over the years. And just to acknowledge, um, uh, Professor Grave has been such an incredible supporter and a really dedicated um, uh, community member of CLS. So huge thanks on that part. Of course, you're welcome. But Olivia, please, same, same question I'll, I'll ask you. You're, you. You have a, a mythical kind of um, story on campus. A lot of us Latinos and Chicanos on campus, we know of you. You're very celebrated in our community, uh, rightly so, just from your bio, but other things that we know beyond what you do on campus here. Um, so um, uh, I'd love to for, invite you to share your journey of how uh, you um, uh, started uh, your path towards the STEM field and and how you eventually came to UC San Diego?
2: So um, I think going back to high school has been has been the what we've been doing. Uh, I I grew up in Tijuana, so right across the border from San Diego. I was good in math and I loved chemistry, starting from like junior high. Uh, and uh, and that's actually quite common, right? You're you're sort of good at that, and then so people try to push promote engineering and say, oh, you're good with math, you should go do engineering. Um, but in the case, in my case, it ended up being engineering, in fact structural engineering here at UCSD because I, um, I had experiences when I was in high school related to a lot of um, forced migration because of uh, difficulties in the south of Mexico. A lot of people were immigrating through Tijuana to come to the United States. And many of them were not able to cross. And we're talking about most undocumented crossings, no? And so um, they were living in slums, in, uh, in communities that were basically cardboard communities. And uh, since people were telling me I should be an engineer, and I saw that, and I spent a lot of time at those, in those communities, um, weekends and weekends and weekends, I figured, ah, I could build houses. I think that that's something I could do. And so that was the motivation, really. When I got here to UCSD, I, I liked structural engineering, but I actually found out that it was not really for me. I, in the end, it's like, no, I don't think I like building houses. Um, and, uh, and I started doing undergraduate research in a material science laboratory uh, here with a professor that has, uh, that has since passed. Uh, she passed away about three years ago. Uh, but uh, she was my mentor, and eventually, obviously my colleague, because she was here when I got hired at UCSD. Can we
0: name her because she yeah, jo-
2: Joanna McKittrick. She was a faculty in MAE in my department.
0: I only, I only want to name her because um, a question I'll kind of follow up with you also, but I mean, we can keep going by all means, but just something to consider in, in a few moments. Your role as, uh, as a woman in the STEM field sure. and also Latina. And so I think it's important to acknowledge the generation uh, ahead, right, that actually you know supported you and actually gave you that foundation for your future steps. Well,
2: that was definitely her. Yeah. Uh, her and then another female faculty member uh, that is now, Retired, she's now an emeritus professor, Jan Talbot. So they were collaborators, and I started working for Joanna and obviously for Jan as well because they were collaborating on the project. Um, that was awesome. It it moved. It definitely moved my interest into material science, and uh, and that's what I did for my PhD at UC Davis. Um, it's um it's interesting that my own experience at UC San Diego back then, which we're talking early nineties. Uh, was extremely positive because I also found a community of support which was also SHIP, the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. I was a member of SHIP here at UCSD back then and uh, and that was like a little cocoon of protection against the microaggressions of the world. It was awesome. I have no bad experiences whatsoever from UC San Diego when I was an undergrad. Um, I had a great mentor in research and I had great friends and so um going to UC Davis was a little bit of a shocker because now in graduate school we're talking about no Latinos basically in engineering and material science. I was the only Latina Latina Latin I mean male or female. I was the only Hispanic mm-hmm. uh in my program. And that was uh, that was interesting to me because uh I had not had that experience at UCSD. And uh and so I started doing stuff to fix that. Um I started getting engaged with SHIP at the national level to promote graduate education. So um, together with a a group of other graduate students from other universities, including MIT actually, because SHIP at MIT has been very strong for a very long time, Um, we started building these uh, graduate prep programs uh, at the national level for graduate students. Uh, And that eventually morphed into programs also to get junior faculty uh, graduate students into junior faculty positions um, that became the graduate the faculty institute and the graduate institute at the national level that was great Um, back when I was really involved with that because I am not doing that anymore I uh, I'll tell you why later it was it was like a transition for me moving to UC San Diego and deciding that I wanted to do more of the local regional border stuff. Mm-hmm. And all of those programs were so very well established in, at the ship national level. So I was like, I, I don't need to do this anymore. Others can can start doing that. And that is indeed what happened. So right now there's all kinds of other awesome people, including alumni of those programs who were graduate students when they went through it. And now they're their faculty at different institutions. So to see that is, is really amazing. Um, and so at some point when I was the share of all of those efforts, I pretty much knew all of the Latino engineering faculty in the United States. <laughs> Every single one of them.
0: I believe That's it. That's no you... longer
2: the case. I don't know all Latino engineering faculty in the U.S. anymore. But back then I did. And I wrote two papers about that, by the way. Um, so those came out in 2018, one paper, and then another one just this year on on the Latino engineer, academic kind of environment um, that came out in ACS Omega. So it's actually a chemistry journal. Yeah. And what um, did you
0: share in those papers? I'm just curious. What is that? What did you share in those papers?
2: The statistics. Uh huh. The statistics, the numbers, the percentages, um, all of that stuff. hmm mm-hmm. And then I. Uh, Uh, I did not come to UCSD as an assistant professor, this was not my first academic position. I went to the University of Nevada, Reno first. I was an assistant professor there. And then I left the year I got tenure. And then I went to New York. I was in upstate New York at Alfred University, which is a very famous ceramic engineering school. Um, That's my area, ceramic engineering. And I was there for uh, about four and a half years. And I left when I got promoted to full professor. I, like, every time I got promoted, I seemed to you find like, something better. Yeah, I, I kind of left
0: <laughs> when, right when um, they want you. You go somewhere else. <laughs> yes, yes.
2: Um, when I left UNR, uh, I I was purposely looking for other opportunities. I wanted to move to um, institution that um, had uh, better research programs. And that was uh, that was purposeful. Uh, and. Uh, but moving to UC San Diego was not. I was extremely happy at Alfred University. I was, it was, it's an awesome place. It's an amazing place. Um, but I got a phone call from Joanna and from Enrique Luco, who's now an, a an retired professor from structural engineering. Him in particular, he said, we have a position you have to apply. Um, so these are all people I had taken undergraduate classes from. And I'm like, yeah, of course. This is San Diego. This is home. Like, I would be coming back home. I have lots of family on both sides of the border, in San Diego and Tijuana. Like, all 500 people were happy (laughs) that I was interviewing here. Um, When I told my mom that I had been called and that I was going to come interview, uh, she she has an altar for the Virgen de Guadalupe, so Our Lady of Guadalupe altar at home, and she put ten votive candles <laughs> for five months. She had the Through the interview candles.
0: process, yeah. through the
2: whole process, <laughs> and then to this day, she says that you know, La Virgen answered her prayers. Wow. My response to that is Yama. That's <laughs> that's why I got hired because she had ten votive candles running for six months. Um, uh, and but you know, this is she. She believes in that. She thinks that that is that it promoted this, and this is great.
0: Um, I just to acknowledge, I think that's such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that, because it just reminds me of, like, how important the kind of sacred and the divine is in our world and our culture, right? And these kind of, you know, as I said, we're doing Day of the Dead in a, in, in a couple of weeks, but nonetheless, this kind of um, this kind of um, cosmic, however you want to frame it, you know, um, worldview. You know, the great David Carrasco, this wonderful um, professor, um, Uh, at the Divinity School in Harvard talks about, he's a Mesoamerican scholar, and he talks about um, our Cosmovision, as Latinos and as uh, ancient American holders of these wisdoms and worldviews that actually incorporate sciences, as we know, you know, the minds invented zero, right? And so we know these are part of our, uh, of our worldview as Latinos and Chicanx people here on campus. But also part of that is, um, is holistic in the true sense that there's also, you know, a space and a kind of a thread that uh, weaves through it, which is the sacred and the divine and the cosmic that of these other kind of realities that are part of our ancestors that we bring through us, uh, that we share through generations concretely, or just people that we have in our DNA that we're carrying with us as we're setting those seeds for future generations as well. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I, I totally am like moved by that story.
2: Well, I, like I said, I got hired because a lady of Guadalupe responded to my mom's awesome. prayer.
0: We got, so we got you. Thank you, thank you, Virgen. We got you. I have some requests. Yes. <laughs> yes, Wait, yes. What did you say? I have some requests. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yes. Yeah.
2: yes, that's right. Just, you know, my mom, yes, she has a straight uh, line to to uh,
0: clearly to
2: this. Uh, or at so, least she has a
0: lot of, votives. Yes, a lot of velas yes, for us to yes, hand out. Yes, that's right.
2: Little, little veladoras that she runs. Um, so I came here 10 years ago. Uh, and I'm never leaving, because this is home. Uh, this is the transition that I made from uh, from all my activities at the national level with SHIP, and um, and thinking more about the border and regional efforts. And this is where the Calibaja Center for Resilient Materials and Systems comes from. It's a binational center with uh, very large educational programs, including this program, Enlace, that both Julio and Javier have hosted students from the Enlace program uh, in their labs. Uh, it's a summer research program that is binational. So this summer I had 185 students in the program wow. from, the, from Mexico and from the US. To me, this is like the, the, an, an incredibly important activity. Um, aside from my research and all of these things that I value tremendously, I, the, the opening research opportunities for Latino students uh, from both sides of the border is, is very important. And on the U.S. side, it's not, it's not just Latinos um, open to other minorities, black students, Native American students, um, some of the uh, more marginalized Asian communities in, from the point of view of, uh, of uh, socioeconomic uh, acquisition power. You know, the, the Vietnamese American, for example, Cambodian Americans, Laos, these other South, America, South Asian countries, I have students from those populations as well in the program. It's grown a lot, 185 this summer. I started in 2013 with five. So this is how much it has grown. And uh, uh, it's both high school and college students. And next summer, for the first time, I'm going to accept also uh, graduate students, master's level students to get them to then come here for their PhDs or postdocs. Um, It's a lot of responsibility. So I move into the dorms with them for the seven weeks of the program. So for the last few years, during summer, I live on campus. And it's really fun. No, it's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really, it's we're on really campus. What,
0: what housings do you use?
2: Oh, they give us different different dorms depending on the year. So uh-huh. this year we were in the new sixth college oh, dorms. Very which, swanky.
0: <laughs> which, was,
2: which was beautiful. Sure. Yeah, they're great. They're great dorms, the yeah. new ones for sixth. Um, but we've lived in... in um, Muir, we've lived in Revel, we've lived in Warren. It's like they move us. So
0: it's right? a true living and learning experience then. Yeah, yeah. It,
2: it really is. Uh, so I, I, I keep telling my colleagues that you know, during the summer, maybe at midnight, they're going to see me in my pajamas walking to the <laughs> library or something like this. Um, but it's great. And, uh, and yeah, that's what I'm doing here at UCSD. Uh, and and you know, it's like breaking borders, you know, tearing down walls. And I do it also for my research. My research area is on materials for space applications. Mm -hmm. There is no greater frontier than space. Sure. And, of course, I'm a fan of Star Wars and Star Trek and, and everything else that has to do with all that. That's amazing. Um,
0: so, yeah. I just, just to acknowledge really quickly, um, you know, you kind of have this mythological um, reputation on campus. You should know, <laughs> really uh, Olivia. Um, and uh, uh, I'm just there's, there's this wonderful um, kind of part of your, your, your history that, that people share is your are um, actually living and commuting from Tijuana to come to campus. Right. As a, as a person. Can you talk about that? Like that's an extraordinary um, uh, commitment to your um, to your own kind of passion. Uh, and your own kind of journey and just the amount of effort and and, uh, just time, of course, as we know, crossing the border. But to come to school as an undergrad, right, waking up, crossing the border, to come to classes, et cetera. Can you just talk about what that was like as a young person and your commitment to that?
2: Well, so the border is something that I've lived with all my life. I grew up in Tijuana. I used to cross the border when I was young, 10, 9 years old, uh, without any documents just to buy milk so you get to the border at that time you get to the border it's like what are you doing little girl oh I'm just you know I, I have to go to the it's the Dairy Mart which is by the way why there's the Dairy Mart road mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there is there you that was actually a milk facility mm-hmm. like fresh milk a dairy mm-hmm. yeah it was a dairy dairy farm mm-hmm. dairy farm there, you, there go. you go there's a dairy farm road down huh? there in uh, in San Isidro sure sure yeah? so um, cross the border oh yeah I'm just going to get milk oh yeah go ahead no, no papers It, it was just just one of the locals. of course, everything changed after nine eleven There was no way that that kind of porosity could continue um, and so um, the the crossing every day I don't really think it was a big deal from door to door. it would take me one hour. Wow, I think there are people with Longer commutes that don't cross borders that <laughs> yeah, are more yeah. than one hour.
0: Yeah, I live in North County, and sometimes it can take <laughs> me ninety minutes. <laughs> so, let me tell you. <laughs>
2: sometimes it's like longer than one hour. Back then, it was like a different. It was a different world at the border. It was a one-hour door-to-door, uh, ten minutes from my house to the border, about twenty minutes at the border, and half an hour from San Isidro to La Jolla. No, no big, no big deal. Uh, lots of people do it, both for work and for job uh, for and, and school. Uh, I think that it is more difficult now. There's no, no question that the border can be very, very long now. I live now in San Diego, so I don't do that. Um, but, um, but back then, I think it was just a part of life. Um, my, uh, my mom encouraged it, of course. She was a single mom with five children, and she encouraged education. So for her, it was like, this is something that we needed to do, and we did. All five of us went to college in the United States, and all five of us now live here in San Diego. Um, So it's really great. Again, family, you know? Um, And and if you think about my own family and heritage uh, with respect to where we come from, uh, we are many generations California, Baja California. Uh, My family was here before California was part of the U.S. Mm -hmm. My grandfather was born in San Diego in 1917 at the Naval Hospital. Um, That was a total accident, by the way, that he was born. Uh, So in Tijuana in 1917, there were no hospitals. And in fact, regionally, in the entire San Diego-Tijuana region, there was only one hospital in San Diego, the Naval Hospital. And the partera, the midwife, told my great-grandfather that there was a difficult birth, that that they needed to be taken to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So they got on their horse cart. And they crossed the border, which at that time was no border, and they came to the Naval Hospital. So, he was born in 1917 in San Diego. Pure accident. This is this is how it goes in the border region. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, the schools that I went to in Tijuana, K-12, are the schools that I started with for my Enlace program in terms of recruitment of the Mexican side of the students. But now it has grown. It's a, Nationwide program all over Mexico and all over the U.S., yeah, yeah. but I did start with I started in 2013 with five high school girls from the high school that I that I went to. Mm-hmm. This is how That's it a- how it began.
0: Extraordinary. We have uh, many more questions to ask you, and uh, again about your social justice um, roots of seeing the the housing, kind of your interest in structural engineering and how you came, you know, really amazing things in terms of your, your social justice action, what you're doing and still continuing to do now in your um, projects like Enlace and all these extraordinary um, um, uh, development uh, for retention for professors to, you know, new students. Just amazing. I want to hear more about that. I have actually some questions about um, when I hear ceramic, I hear art art, and art, um, you know, kind of artistry, but you're talking about materials, I think, in yeah. terms Ceramic, but I want to ask you more about how, uh, how the arts kind of like plays out in that, in those materials, etc. Um, so, but without further ado, I want to bring in uh, beautiful Julio. We need to find out him, who is this incredible person who has also, I should just say, is a, a wonderful um, new member of our CLS community. And since he joined last year, he's been a really wonderful, active voice in our conversations, along with Olivia. And I'm I'm inviting uh, Javier also to become part of our uh, CLS-affiliated faculty. Uh, But I really appreciate the over the year that we've gotten to know each other, Julio, our wonderful conversations and the efforts that you're doing and even planning this event. You are really critical in, in the success of all of the participants. So thank you so much for that. But I wanted to read and let people know who you are through your bio that you shared with us. So, a lot smaller than... <laughs> what's that? A lot smaller than... <laughs> not at all, not at all. It's incredible. <laughs> uh, so Julio Barreto, uh is from Guerrero uh, and grew up, uh, Guerrero, Mexico, uh, grew up in public housing project in Acapulco, Mexico. Inspired by a junior high teacher, he found his passion for science. Through hard work and focus, he found himself the recipient of scholarships that opened up a world of opportunity in physics. C-E-R-N, CERN, do you guys call it CERN? Am I saying it correctly? Yeah. Fulbright, European Union, and Max Planck Society Fellowships. Today, he runs a lab at UC San Diego focused on quantum science and technology. Julio, thank you. This is, I'm sure this is like, it may be brief, but you are definitely not that for sure, and the work and the tremendous efforts that you're doing here on campus. So, again, our same question that we'll just ask you, you know, a, a amazing uh, story here. I'm curious, you know, your, your upbringing, your journey, where it started, and then how you got into STEM, perhaps, and then how you came to UC San Diego. Yeah, so it, it all started, I went to
3: high school in Acapulco, where education is not necessarily uh, uh, very, very, very good, but I had a very, very good uh, high school physics
0: professor, uh,
3: First, first year of junior high, which we love him. He was incredible. He was really communicating the passion for for To honor him,
0: what is his name?
3: Fernando Martinez. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he was uh, small. Uh, he was actually Asian-Mexican. Uh, uh, he was really good at teaching physics. He would... Uh, we love him, and he was small, we would call him uh, Atomo. <laughs> the, the atom. Sure. <laughs> but but he, was, he was fine with it. We would even sometimes, <laughs> in the evenings, we are hanging out with friends, we would stay back by, by, by his house and, and just chat. Then uh, you know, I also have other professors in biology who also help me with a lot of computer, computers. Uh, where I grew up, um, my friends growing up, uh, was, it's a pretty housing, so it was difficult to remain in a in developing country. Uh, so all my friends either had well, passed passed away, or were in jail, or are undocumented here. So later on, I went to college in Mexico City, which was quite a, a challenge, uh, because I came from not very good preparation. So the first two years of college were tremendously hard. So when I teach here, I, I can relate to students who are are struggling that they don't have opportunities to take physics in high school or so i understand perfectly how they have to put a lot more effort into uh, to improve their grades and, and uh, it's it's really great to see how over the quarters they they they, they improve and this go up and as i tell them keep going all that hard work eventually is gonna pay out because you're used to this hard work and you're gonna just take off then i, I was lucky to have a opportunity to be at CERN, so I was a summer student a long, long time ago. That was an incredible opportunity, eye-opening, and I had a chance to get a a fellowship from the State Department, Fulbright, to do my PhD here in the U.S., Uh, which I first went to Columbia. They didn't have quantum science back then, so then I moved to Illinois where they had quantum science and where my wife was. Uh, then, I, I, there I had a very good opportunity so Columbia to Columbia and New York? You were at Colombia, and New York, oh, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I had a good opportunity in helping uh, in parent-teacher conferences in high school. Uh, and that's when I, 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 it clicked, when I would talk to parents and the teachers and understand the mis- a little bit of mis- misunderstanding of cultures. And for me, the parents. I mean, they look like my my, my friends. So I would, because uh, my friends were also undocumented here. So I would understand their perspective. I would understand how uh, culturally it's different. How the, the uh, we would be more sensitive about certain reactions, and I could have a chance to explain to them. It's it's, it's not uh, it's not you. It's, it's it's how things are sometimes, and also t- talk to the teachers and, and explain that you know. Uh, that does it. So it would it would help like a, it would be like a bridge because I was a grad student which was already like kind of integrated in the academia. Uh, so it was a very good uh, opportunity. Yeah. Then then I went to to Austria for a postdoc and then Germany for another postdoc. So after many postdocs, PhD, uh, you eventually get to uh, such a great place and competitive like UC San Diego. Um, and. Uh, from the beginning olivia was was there to 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 help and to uh, to guide us and to support us uh, and i 've been incredibly happy to see that now I can uh, connect with all the undocumented parents that are here under understand, understand their their perspective I know where they grew up where they were facing and what drove them to come here and how they are pushing their their, their, their kids to to study and, and so it's, it's San Diego is a
0: unique place to,
3: to, to achieve that.
0: So can you talk more about, I'm just curious, um, I'd love to know, like, the moment that you decided to kind of dedicate your life to this kind of STEM field. I'm really excited. Uh, Professor Adam, he sounds incredible, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Tomo, but I'm just curious, um, is, was your family, uh, uh, you know, were the family of people interested in science? Was, was Star Wars something that, like, uh-huh. triggered you? Star, uh, was said Star Trek, et cetera? I'm just curious, like, how how these affinities, right, become, you know, into our realities, uh, that turn into passions become into our life, work, right? I'm just kind of curious or how that was for you, Julio? Yeah, no, my, my mom is a seamstress, uh, and my dad was in construction. So
3: I, I like physics from, from what the teacher was teaching me. From your classes? From my classes. And then my dad would take me to the construction, and, and I would go help and go up and down, and so I would see the physics playing, playing out on, yeah. on the building. If you did your skills on site. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's why I, I got very uh, hand, hands-on, and, and then I took some... Okay. Uh, workshops in electric, being an electric, uh, electrician and plumbing, and so that's, that's how I I, got. I I didn't know there was something like physics. I just like physics, and then when I was in advanced high school, I, I saw that, oh, this college has something called a physicist. Uh, I didn't know there, was, there were PhDs or masters. I had no idea at positions all. at UC San Diego? <laughs> I had no idea about the academic part. It was all when, until I got to College in Mexico City. I said, Oh, so you do physics and then you do masters and Oh,
0: uh, so yeah, it was it was more like uh, this professor and. Can, can I ask you about that journey? Because that's interesting, because I, I love your kind of really kind of humble uh, beginnings you're sharing as you're going with public housing and very modest uh, family beginnings, but then going to, you know, the, the capital, right, going to Mexico City to UNAM. Is that where you went? Or yes. where did you go? Yeah. And so, like, what was even that like? I mean, because many of us in the States, right, grew up, you know, certain places around the country, and we go to these really wonderful schools, MIT, Columbia, et cetera, and it, even that's a challenge, right? So I'm just curious, within your own your own country, Mexico, how, what was that experience going from uh, Sur- surf City, right? <laughs> Tourist-, Tourist Central, you could argue, right? Because I-, I asked you before, do you surf? No, so I started surfing, but I'm not good at it. <laughs> so I don't say I surf; I right, say surf. I, I, I right, jump on there. Perfect. The <laughs> so, but coming from from uh, from Acapulco and then going to uh, you know a really you know rigorous uh, you know university in a, in a program that is you know um, you know uh, really challenging. I imagine coming from uh, in a high school like many of us that are not preparing us for college, as you mentioned, that was my experience as well. You know, it just uh, thrown to the wolves, right? And so I'm really. Um, really um, so moved by your support of your current students, but that was me all those years ago when I was undergrad as well. And so imagine that was comparable to your experience going to UNAM as well. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so like? when I
3: went to UNAM, I was very lucky to have uh, professors who would actually uh, support me. So at UNAM I had a chance to, uh, they saw I was working hard, and I would pick up on the classes. Then they would uh, hire me as an uh, instruction assistant. Uh, uh, so that was uh, uh, some a safety net that I would have as a support, economic support to, to continue my studies. And of, of course, at some point, even the teachers, uh, one teacher had to loan me some money to, 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 to because I had no money to, to, to pay rent or eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really the, the professors who were uh, uh, supporting me, helped me. So when I, with my students, I, I feel like now is my, my time to to do the same. And, Help them succeed.
0: Yeah. You're doing that. Can you can you talk a little bit about your, the program that you have? I know you have the Young Physicists uh, Program. Can you talk about? Yeah, that? Yeah. So
3: this is a program that it, it was already uh, at, in the physics department, and the idea of program is you have high school students that come once a month to the department and they can play and experience the undergrad labs. So there's a subset uh, of experiments. All this is is actually all work done by the graduate students in physics, who set this up and. We get one faculty member give a talk uh, 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 at the end and then have pizza with the kids and,
0: and, and discuss. And who are the students that are involved in the project? Who are the students that come to, to the young people? So traditionally, well so far, it's been
3: uh, from high schools nearby. And uh, my goal now is to actually either bring our program over to other underserved high schools uh, that uh, will have a, a stronger impact uh, or or bring the students over to, to, to the department. Uh, we have also every year uh, lab tours. So we take the kids around all the
0: labs and uh, they, they quite enjoy it. And, we, and what do they want to know from you when the kids come? I'm just curious what the questions they ask you. Oh, so we do quantum
3: experiments. So they, they are curious about quantum science uh, how the, the small world and how entanglement, for example, that just got the Nobel Prize in Physics, entanglement of particles of light, goes. And uh, so they get very intrigued and puzzled and, puzzle and uh, interested in understanding how these uh, not so intuitive uh, experiences happen in, in these experiments. yeah.
0: Perfect. I, I'm going to kind of circle back to Javier for a second. And I just love to maybe ask you guys, because you guys are, I know you guys are. Um, um, so passionate about your, your research, and you all are so singular in what you do. I'm just I'd love to know exactly like what is your passion right now in terms of the research that you're working on. Maybe you can share what your uh, research focuses on, and maybe a, a project that is um, like on uh, hot off the hot off the presses, so to speak. So Javier, I know you're into colliding. We talked about that when we met on um, on Zoom, which I really appreciate our conversation. That was really wonderful to meet you um, in that way. But I'm just curious. Um, can you talk about the the work that you do? And then also maybe a project that you're currently working on.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I mean, the big project. It's not just me. It's really a collaboration of like you know thousands of physicists and engineers that um, that we're working on. Is um, so ten years ago we discovered this particle, the Higgs boson. Uh, it's related to how other particles acquire mass. It's, uh, it's actually related to a field, the Higgs field, that kind of fills the universe. And these other particles essentially push against that field and that resistance, that inertia that they feel. That's what gives rise to mass. Um, but there's other weird properties of the Higgs boson that we want to observe to like, confirm that it is what we expect it to be. Uh, one is the fact that the Higgs is kind of expected to interact with itself in a way that's like, kind of unique. Um, it, you know, so we expect it to basically be able to split into two other Higgs bosons. So like, you know, one Higgs boson is going, al- going along, and then it just suddenly becomes two. Mm-hmm. So like, what kind of uh, object in everyday you know, life d- does that? You know, it's, it's a very unique thing. Uh, and we want to measure the strength of this, like how often this happens, what is the, the rate. But it's really, really rare. Even when we're talking about colliding particles at the highest energies, we're already talking about really, really rare things. This is rare among that. Rarity, so it's 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 just ultra rare, and so we need to like collide these protons, you know, billions of times just to have a chance of seeing this thing once, you know, and and so we do this over the course of you know years. So this is like a you know going to be a ten-year program to try to measure this, Uh, and the one reason why it's interesting is because it's actually related to, uh, it may be related to essentially how. the univ- the stability of the universe actually so something related to like the the fate of the universe like how things might evolve in the future um, because of this fundamental parameter kind of controls other things too it's related to other other facts of the evolution of the universe um, and so so we're really interested in measuring this and one of the ways that we can try to like grab these like really rare things from this like mountain or this avalanche of data most of which is uninteresting is to use machine learning is to use like big data methods from big data methods from you know trying to classify these events again these really rare events from this like you know mountain of background and so a lot of what my group does is try to develop new kinds of machine learning techniques and not just take the ones that work for you know, computer vision, there's lots of, you know, AI probably in the news that you've, you've, you've heard of or others have heard of that work really well for vision or natural language. But particle physics data is really unique. It's not really like either of those two things. And so we have to kind of adapt the methods and think of new methods that are um, taking into account the, the, like, symmetries or the laws of physics in ways that are, like, unique. And so that's a lot of what uh, my group is working on. Um, and ultimately it's to really better understand like, the universe at this, at this subatomic scale.
0: Amazing. So, yeah. I'm just curious, um, your, your lab is in uh, Switzerland, right? In Geneva? Or were... So
1: the experiment itself is in Switzerland and two of my grad students are there now. Actually one of them is helping take, to take shifts during data, we just restarted data taking. So uh, is actually there helping to take data for uh, one of the systems called the trigger system which is uh, it's called that because it's like the trigger on a camera it's the thing the system that decides when to to save an event to record the data uh, because there's just so much data we can't actually save it all so we actually save only a small fraction of it that we think is the most interesting fraction uh, and so that's a really critical system and so sometimes he'll be on call like you know at night and stuff and, and has to respond to you know if there's problems. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So the actual experiments in Switzerland, it's it, the LHC tunnel is 27 kilometers in circumference. It borders actually uh, both. It, it's, it's on the border between Switzerland and France. Uh, so actually, there, especially during COVID, there was a lot of issues actually getting getting across the border mm-hmm, sure. and things. Um, but normally, it's it's fully open. Um, and uh, but yeah, but we, of course, because it's so computational, because we can transfer data. We have, you know, uh, one of the things that UCSD and and the San Diego Supercomputer Center works a lot on is, like, networking and, you know, being able to transfer data over large distances. So we, uh, you know, also are transferring the data all the time to the U.S., to uh, Fermilab in near Chicago, to San Diego, to our uh, computing centers. And so we're all able, basically, all of the collaborators all over the world are able to analyze this data, like, from anywhere. Um, and so that's, you know, what we do partially. So part of my lab, lab is like here working on like analyzing this data or building uh, prototype uh, systems for this trigger. Uh, and then some of them are, are at CERN.
0: Wow. And so uh, how many grad uh, students do you have?
1: Uh, right now, three uh, that are more a, a senior and then uh, three that are interested in joining the lab that are first years. So uh, sort of quite a handful already. And, then, and
0: what's your just relationship? I'm just curious if, if some people want to um, take classes with you. Like, what, what kind of opportunity would they be able to have interacting with you?
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm, so I'm always uh, open to new undergraduate researchers. Um, so there's, uh, you can contact me by email or, or, or on my website. Um, and then in terms of courses, I'm teaching a computational physics course this year in the winter. Uh, And the spring uh, and so that's another opportunity yeah like we'll definitely touch on some of the things I talked about today
0: to hang out with you yeah awesome thank you thank you Javier so same same thing for you I'm curious uh, Olivia I know again there's all you have these legendary kind of things that circle you Uh, I understand you do like work with NASA and your things are experiments in space I understand I don't know can you maybe enlighten us in what you research and maybe a project that you're working on right now
2: sure so i uh, i work on materials for extreme environments and most of them end up being materials that are ceramics Uh, so materials for ultra high temperature applications i have a project right now that is for the development of uh, ceramics that are carbide based carbon based ceramics for uh, ballistic um, uh, or uh, reentry vehicle application. So when you have a re-entry vehicle and it's coming down, I think we're all used to seeing the space shuttle coming down and getting really, really, really hot. Sure. So if you um, if you think about the, the new coatings or protection systems, that's one thing that, that we're doing, working on those kinds of materials. Uh, I also work a lot with sensors, like detector materials, scintillator materials, as they're known, for Uh, radiation. So radiation environments, which are also obviously space, so radiation in Mars is much stronger than Mars, the Moon. Uh, There is no protective atmosphere like... we really have to appreciate our atmosphere, by the way. (laughs) It's a good thing to have. Um, (laughs) So we are protected. Our ionosphere protects us from a lot of the space radiation. Um, But uh, you have to think about those kinds of radiations environments in uh, Mars or the moon and if we eventually are going to be living on Mars for example the wish will happen eventually uh, then you have to protect against radiation so detectors of neutrons neutron detector materials I have a big project on neutron detectors now and uh, gamma, gamma ray detectors as well which are uh, difficult to make because gamma rays are very energetic so it's they would rather just destroy wherever they go instead of being detected and somehow um, counted, right? The whole counting process of, of radiation. Yeah, that's, that's some of the stuff that, that we're doing in my lab.
0: Can, can I just follow up on, on what I was asking before? Because when I was reading your bio and I was preparing for this, and I saw the word ceramic in there, and my, mm-hmm. my world went to like the arts and crafts, kind of that. So and I I'm love, wondering where, where that I is love part.
2: ceramic art. Yeah. Um, I have a, I I enjoy collecting plates, ceramic plates of, you know, very artistic, uh, love ceramics, just in all its forms. Mm -hmm. I do see a lot of connection between the ceramic engineering and the ceramic art. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this summer, for example, I organized a a webinar series that was uh, two speakers every session, one a scientist and one an artist. And they were talking about things that wow. they had in common. It was really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a really great seminar series. Because, by the way, this year is the International Year of Glass, by the, of the United Nations International Year of Glass. Uh, and so uh, a lot of this connectivity between the, the science and the art. The, the artists rely a lot on the, on the engineers, on the ceramic engineers, in the development of new compositions for art pieces and glazes. It's all very chemistry, by the way, yeah. extremely chemistry. Uh, and I, um, I kind of consider myself not so much an engineer anymore, although I love being an engineer, um, but more like an applied chemist at this point in time. Because a lot of what we do is the periodic table and thinking about the materials and the, peri- the elements of the periodic table and how to mix them together into new compositions, for obviously for technology, but also for art, for artistry. Mm-hmm. Um, Love the periodic table. I loved it since I was in uh, seventh grade. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing, by the way. It's like it defines everything that the universe is made of in this compact little thing. Everyone should have one. Everyone should, have one. <laughs> should get one and you should put it. Actually, I, sh- I tell students, you should buy one and put it in front of your bed, the wall in front of your bed. So when you wake up in the morning, that's like the first thing you should see the periodic table. And then you can say, wow. That's the universe. The, the
0: DNA of who we are. Yes. Yeah, yeah. This, this is, is what the universe
2: is made of. And
0: everything kind of funnels through that. Yes. And builds on that. Yes. Of course, really
2: bosons and fermions and all of these other things also. But those are like even smaller stuff. <laughs> the periodic table is like the actual stable things that the universe is made out of.
0: Sure. That's really, that's really beautiful. I love that. It's like, a, like the ingredients of who we are, yeah, are right there. Yeah. And then totally. how do we kind of create a collaboratory or an experience for our lives, picking and choosing and just having yes. them.
2: Picking and a, choosing. To create
0: an experience for who we want to be and yes. how we want to experience our world.
2: Yes, picking and choosing. You know, what's very interesting about Mars is that there's really uh, very little carbon on the soil in Mars, which, of course, is mostly what our soil on our planet, you know, our crust is made mostly out of carbon, which is why plants are made out of carbon. We are made out of carbon. Everything is based, it's carbon-based. Mm-hmm. Life is carbon-based on, on our planet, um, in Mars, uh, the soil is not carbon-based. It's silicon-based. Uh, and so uh, one has to think about what are we going to do if we want to grow crops in Mars, for example. You can't, you can't just grab a seed and put it on the soil. It won't grow. There's no carbon. So what is it that you need to do? Those are the kinds of things that I also think about in my research, the elements of the periodic table, and then thinking about Mars and Mars colonization in general, and, and how are you even going to grow crops in a place like Mars, where the soil doesn't have carbon,
3: you can grow chips, though. You can grow chips,
2: yes. electronic chips you can, out of psy- silicon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you can you can grow uh, semiconductors. semiconductors. <laughs> yes, um, exactly right. It is silicon based, yeah. uh, so it's all silici- silicate uh, dirt. Uh, and so, how do you, how do you do that? Turns out that in Mars, there's a lot of carbon dioxide. So if you can uh, grab it from the thin atmosphere and then break it apart, then you can produce carbon yeah, yeah.
3: for... Let's practice here.
0: <laughs> Let's practice here, yes. You can reorganize it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Amazing, Olivia. Julio, how about uh, your, your current work uh, project and so the research that you're doing?
3: Going from the extremely high temperatures to yes. go to extremely low temperatures. Okay. From extremely small to a little bit bigger. So on I, I, all the project table, I only have one one atom in particular. So,
0: only one of the the boxes. Only one of the
3: boxes. (laughs) (laughs) So, I wake up and only look at this (laughs) (laughs) strontium. Strontium. So, we use strontium atoms. We get them very, very cold by different uh, techniques. One of them in the end is just lasers. So we shine uh, and strontium is very hot jumping around and we shine photons to it from every direction. So, it slows down. Uh, Once these atoms are very cold, they're barely moving they no longer behave like a, a, an, an, a particle. They are like a, like a wave, and you cannot tell them apart anymore. Uh, so they, are, they become like a laser, similar to a laser. So what we want to do with this, and in one of the experiments that we do my, in my lab, is we're all familiar with electronic circuits, wires, current electrons. There's an, another generation of circuits made of a light on little pipes of, of glass. Uh, it's it's nanowaveguides. And, and these uh, circuits are really fast. What we want to do is instead of having electrons or wires or photons in, in these glass pipes or fibers, is to have uh, circuits of atoms. So instead of electronics, we call it atomtronics. Uh, and make devices that are based on moving these matter waves or uh, of strontium atoms uh, that First, we have, there are some applications. Uh, to make One of them is to make a gyroscope. And it's, it's very relevant here because we have the Navy nearby, and uh, they, they need gyroscopes for, for navigation. Uh, usually, they use laser gyroscopes, or lasers that go, they have spools of fiber kilometers long. They send fiber in two directions, light in two directions. And then they're going like this, counter light. And if there's a rotation, one of the light will go farther than the other. By sensing that difference, you can tell that there was was rotation. So we want to do the same, but with matter waves of strontium atoms in a small chip. and The sensitivity to rotation of these matter waves of atoms is 10 times to the 10 times what you get with light. So even though we cannot make circuits that are kilometers long, okay, we lose a factor of ten to the six or 10, maybe ten to seven, a factor of ten or a hundred or a thousand would be incredible for, for this navigation. Of course, there is a fundamental aspect to it uh, when we have these atoms in in some infrastructure where we get the atoms to be guided. Uh, there's some physics that is quite quite under, not not fully understood, and of course there are the arrows you can use for general relativity, etc. That's, that's one project. The other project that we do is we want to have a race of tweezers and trap atoms
0: and for ideas along quantum computing. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll just call all three of you the high-tech Aztecs. I'll just uh, <laughs> start with that, yeah? But um, fascinating. Your work is really incredible. I want to know more about, about it all, of course. But I also want to um, invite our guests that we have, if they have any questions for, for you guys. I want to open it up to the room. So please, anybody in the and if our guests have any, any questions or any uh, things they want to ask our panelists, please.
3: First of all, thank you all so much for sharing your story. Um, I wonder how you have time to run research
1: labs that do really great science and engineering projects, and then also have the time to do like EDI and outreach work and the same time of day that other people
3: do and then only do research. So how do you have time for all of that?
2: Well, you have to be incredibly organized. Um, the, the, this is, I don't think this is any surprise to anybody. Um, you have to have a calendar and you have to manage your time very effectively. Time management uh, is, is key. Uh, People that are scattered and don't have control over their calendar, they would be very hard-pressed to be able to do all the things that need to get done. But if you are uh, disciplined and have control over your schedule, it can be done. Sí se puede.
0: I will say, just in terms of, of that and my experience with Olivia, she is great about, uh, you know, I have these days to meet, I have this time to Zoom, I have that. She is very organized, and I really appreciate that that is part of it. I would just say from yesterday, Stephanie, you were here, and it was so powerful to hear the other panelists talking about um, not only how they do their work, but also um, for what you asked them, how they take care of themselves for the time for themselves, right? Not that's for the work or this wonderful EDI work that they, a lot of them do. But also, um, where's, like, the me time in that? right? whether it's family or whether it's, um, for Rami, it was, like, you know, she, she does running uh, and just things that, you know, she talks about. She mentioned, like, you know, actually put it in my calendar. I like block out of time for me. And my grad students see that. And it's, like, the, and that is, that's de- dedicated for that. So it's about, like, what you're talking
2: about, Olivia, I do, organizing I do, I, do the, I do the same. Yeah. If I want to go to see the next Avengers movie, which yeah. I do whenever it comes <laughs> out. Uh, I have to figure out when it's gonna come out and then I have to put it in my calendar. And I do, I put it in my calendar. It's like, oh yeah, I planned, I'm going to the movies. Always in Tijuana, by the way. I don't go to the movies here. Yeah, I love I, it. I, I go to I, Tijuana. I, I also
0: just say, that in terms of that, that question that you're asking, Stephanie, the, the, it is important for us, just in terms of the context of UC San Diego and, and um, Olivia, maybe your experience, and, and Julian Javier, of, um, you know, there is a lot of us asked uh, of, of us as uh, Latinx and Chicanx faculty members because of our dedication to everything we're talking about, our communities, and setting seeds for the, and the work that we want to do for the next generations. And so there is a lot of um, um, things. Asked of us and we ask of ourselves. The university, where a lot of committees, we're, our, we're, they, our opinions and our uh, voices are, are really invited into conversations. Um, and so uh, that is, um, I would say, a strain because it's wonderful to be part of those conversations and to have a place at the table, as they say, but it does take time. And so I think what you're asking is really important to, to um, know that we do have to have our own self-care, as they say now, right? And to take care of uh, a space in our calendars to go to the Avengers movie or, um, to, I, you know, Javier, you're, you're uh, into running as well. Yes, I know that. And I know, um, I think Julio's working on his surfing, perhaps, right? <laughs> I'm <laughs> a know. cyclist. I'm a cyclist. What's that? I'm a cyclist. The cyclist, exactly. They're, that's right. You mentioned that to me. Uh, but I'll just to say, um, you know, to, to make sure that there's things for you. And maybe just so maybe we can talk about that maybe on a personal level what is it that you you do for fun uh, Javier please
1: yeah besides running um, actually my wife and I and a couple of friends are signed up for a marathon relay in the ne- next year uh, that we did last year it was a lot of fun um, also we have two dogs one is a rescued greyhound and the other is um, a rescued super mutt <laughs> she's a uh-huh. uh, you know a little bit of everything and um, and, uh, yeah, we just like to take them to, you know, dog parks or the dog beach. There's actually a dog surfing competition. I don't know yeah. if, you, if you've seen that.
0: Okay, yeah, surf, uh, surfing is an equal opportunity sport. Yeah. Yes, I hear that.
1: Right, right. Um, yeah, take them on hikes, uh, you know, the, the parks, and that's, that's like, yeah, uh, really fun. Awesome.
0: And, and, and Olivia, besides uh, Avengers uh, uh, on your calendars, movies, uh, cinema, anything else that that is, like, really special, like, you know, your me time, that is something that maybe we don't know about you, that is, like, something that you just are passionate about?
2: I love cooking.
0: Yeah? So Mm -hmm. what's what's your dish? What's your specialty?
2: I have this uh, quite unique um, kind of tomato stew that I make that is uh, my own little special. My family loves it. They they keep wanting me to give them the recipe, but I'm not going to. <laughs> You're
3: being stingy. Uh, I'm being stingy. A lot of researching into it. Yeah, a lot of research.
2: I have figured out that the reason I like cooking is because it's like material science. Mm. You're like mixing things in certain amounts.
0: It's your periodic table, except yes. with different ingredients. Yes,
2: yeah. exactly.
0: That's incredible. So
2: uh, that that is, and I do. I have a lot of friends, uh, in, on both sides of the border. So a lot of the Going to dinner in Tijuana, which the food is awesome, um, with friends.
0: That's really great. To know that it just comes down to people ultimately in relationships, mm-hmm. foundation of who we are. Whether it's our family, or whether it's colleagues, or um, you know friends in the world, for sure. Yeah. Julio, how about you? Cycling? No, no. Well, I have a seven-year-old,
3: so that's my that's my my, my hobby. My. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's that's where you want to spend your time. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's that's what absolutely I want to spend. My, my time. And it's, it's incredible to see how how they learn things on their own. <laughs> you think you're gonna teach them things? No. <laughs> she was reading before I could. She was walking before I could show her. Uh, uh, uh. No, I do. I do cycling. So which I embed when I commute to campus. I cycle So, you, so I time. know you live in Delmar, so you commute. Uh, uh, I don't live in Mar, but close by. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and, uh, no, I don't surf. So I just cycle from there to here, uh, and that's. 20 30 minutes, good uh, uphill. So, you
0: save on parking here on campus then? Yeah. Good uh, for you.
3: (laughs) I cycle, I'm very competitive too, so I cycle with some of the champions here in town. There are some who are the best in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, With the father of the Olympic uh, winner of uh, cyclists here in in San Diego. Uh, Yeah, it's. I, I, I started that when I was living in Illinois. In, oh, the cycling in, experience! Tempen
0: Urbana. There's nothing around. Other cornfields, soy fields, cornfields, soy so Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to get away, I guess. <laughs> Amazing, fantastic. Um, I'll open up again. Any other questions in the room? Yeah. If, if not, uh, maybe we'll we'll end uh, we'll maybe end our conversation. Oh, here. Sorry, please. Uh, no,
2: no worries. Um, I'm taking an intro to Chicanx and
0: Latinx literature, and uh, one of the things we're focusing on right now is like. Um, influences like big influences, uh, like in music and in, in writing, and like because we were like, uh, you know, like analyzing the lyrics and stuff. Which, so I was wondering yeah. if you guys had like any like specific figures, not specifically in music or writing, that you like looked up to, that you like felt like inspired by or like connected to
3: in your journeys. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: have. One, um, there's a. Uh, Juno Diaz book, uh, the brief wondrous life of Oscar Wilde. That one, um, I think I read, must have read in col, must have come out when I was in college or something. Mm -hmm. He was actually a professor at MIT, so like, uh, but his class was always overbooked. Like you couldn't possibly take the like the writing class with him. Um, But I yeah, I really, that story really resonated with me because it's like about um, you know a kid that comes. you know, from a Latin American country to the U.S. at a young age and the difficulty of straddling two cultures um, and maybe like not being enough of one culture and not being enough of the other culture and so being stuck in the middle, um, which I think is just a really shared experience with a lot of um, kids that grow up, you know, f- from from other, other places. Um, and yeah, so and it's a really it's a really great book, and the, the writing's obviously like excellent. So,
0: yeah, it's a great book. I love it too. Awesome.
2: Yeah, I was. I always loved um, realismo mágico, magic realism. Um, I grew up with it. Um, I don't think it's any surprise. I love Gabriel García Márquez. Uh, I I have read his novels many times, and of course, uh, Cien años de soledad is a classic. Uh, the, 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 the magic of it, I think, is, is really awesome to me. I, I love it. And this is why I like uh, Avengers and Star Wars and Star Trek also, because it's like science fiction, right? It's magical. And uh, fantasy. Uh, and I like that. I, I like the, the whole concept. So um, Realismo Magico is, is definitely something that I like, and there are several authors. Gabriel García Márquez is one of them that I really, truly enjoy. And on music, of course, we—the music that becomes important to us is the one that we listen to when we're teenagers. Uh, Then that becomes our music. And so for me, it was Miguel Bosé, uh, Mecano, Timbiriche, um, Luis Miguel, and Soda Stereo. That—that was my—that's my music. That's your jams. That's my jam. Woo, go, That's Olivia.
0: We want you generation. To your playlist. Seven generations. Generation. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: That's
2: We need music. that playlist,
0: Olivia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Awesome. Julia. Yeah, uh, she was saying what I was going to say. Oh. <laughs> ah. años <laughs> de Soledad, Garcia Marquez, and yeah, in music. Realismo uh, Magico. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, all these characters that are, Yeah, it's...
2: Magical. Magical, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: But also, formalistically, it's very exciting as well, right, it's inside it. But how it ends, is like it's like, for your very fingers, it evaporates, right? It's an extraordinary form for me. What's really thrilling about that book as well, besides just the incredible, you know, butterflies that come out and the kind of, like you say, the, the amazing things that happen that we know from magical realism in that form of literature. But just the form is so, um, in a weird way, kind of holding hands with you as the high-tech Aztec scientists, investigators, uh, in- innovators. Um, that book is also innovative just formalistically, kind of holding hands. what what you guys are doing as well as um you know uh discoverers and explorers to these planets to these worlds you know searching for truth beauty and you know for things that will enlighten our our progress as human beings
1: and uh just and it also connects to like fate and like inevitability Mm -hmm. and determinism Mm -hmm. and these are things that like in physics are really like i remember reading that book and thinking, like, it's really connected to, like, you know, fundamental physics, actually. Mm-hmm. So, it's cool. Yeah, Amazing. so many the... ways to interpret that.
0: Yeah, first. it has so many kind of threads and, and uh, lenses to how to frame the book, for sure. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Any other questions, please? If not, like I said, this is in our final minutes. Maybe I'll just start with you, Julio, and go down our, our panel. Uh, just maybe sharing uh, what gives you pride in your Latinx community, maybe uh, in your own personal life, here on campus. Just, you know, I just really want us to Um, you know, end on a celebration of this is uh, Latinx Heritage Month and part of the theme that we're trying to um, imbue during this month. And this is something the panel is, I was very conscious of inviting uh, Mexicanos, Chicanos, but also other uh, Latinos that are part of our theme this year, which is Unidos, right, building a stronger community. So I'm just uh, trying to celebrate all those uh, wonderful um, Latino brothers and sisters that we have uh, in, our, in our Latinx Heritage Month celebration. I'm just curious, from your point of view, sharing some thoughts about just that, what gives you pride in your Latinx community.
1: Um, yeah, maybe my fellow panel members, uh, like the, the grit and the like, you know, crossing the border every day, like these things, I think that makes me proud, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Determination. Determination, resilience, as uh, Stephanie invite us to consider yesterday. Awesome, Olivia.
2: I um, I don't know how to answer that question quite. Um, I am I am very proud of being a Latina that has managed to get into engineering, you know, at the high levels of academia, uh, and I am I think that I um, I am proud of what I, of the of the heroes that I have encountered in the process of me doing that. Uh, some that I have never met that are examples to me, and some that I have and that have helped me. And the, 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 the capacity to, to say, you know, I am going to reach out and extend my hand and bring you up. Uh, and I think that we do a good job of that. Um, some of my heroes are Cesar Chavez. You um, know si se puede and uh, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, I think is amazing, so I take example from her awesome and She also was the one that you know re- reached out and pulled people from poverty and from and from discrimination, and she was amazing, so take example from that
0: I love that you're I'm going to be on our own community and, and embracing. You know, I teach, uh, you know, uh, my teatro. uh, I teach Chicano teatro and also teach um, Chicano dramatic literature on campus. And on the first day of class, I always ask the quiz, you know, it's really hard. Question number one, your name, right? It's like, you know, really simple in the end. But the big ticket item is, you know, what's your definition of Chicano? And what do we really realize at the end of the conversation is um, everyone has access to that worldview, to those philosophical thoughts and to those ideas of, of actions and love in action, what you're talking about besides just your dna right what side of the border you live on or what your community is it's a radically inclusive um, um gesture for everyone to participate in through that heroism and through that commitment to those values and putting them into concrete actions what you're yeah. just describing for sure i
2: mean this is why my Enlace program is there is here this is why i started this program because to me it's like the 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 connecting people and uh, getting them to interact from from both sides of the border, I, I I say that you know the the most honest friendships is the ones that you make when you're 17 years old, and if you they are based on the fact that you like each other, <laughs> that's the only reason you're friends. Yeah, uh, and so I I think that in the future the future president of the U.S. and the future president of Mexico are going to be alum of the Enlace program and they're going to be friends since they were 17 years old. That changes the world.
0: I love it. It, it
2: tears down the walls.
0: Awesome. More, more of that, Olivia. Thank you. Olivia, how about yeah, you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, as you mentioned,
3: unidos being together, GRIT have the effort to work, work together and help each other. In this uh, unidos si se puede and ayudándonos, it's, it's, it's
0: key for it and what it's really makes me proud of, of our, uh, our community. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm personally proud to know each of you and to spend this time with you and to um, build more relationships and more friendships and, and deeper, um, um, just collegial, but more than that, just to know each other as human beings. I'm really, really honored and super thrilled to get to know Julio. You've been so great in the past year. Olivia, such a dear friend. And Javier, I'm really excited to become um, part of your orbit, as they say. And um, I invite everyone to watch uh, yesterday's conversation as well that we had. And I know you guys all know them as well, those three that we had yesterday. So it's just been a real privilege these um, past couple days to just spend time with you and to be part of your journey and to actually share that uh, in my role uh, with CLS uh, with our audience members and um, look forward to more. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. Awesome.